Good morning, everybody. All right. I want to greet those of you who are watching online uh, today, those of you also in our campuses in Waterbury, New Milford, and in Derby. For those of you who are here, anybody who's new, my name is Brian. I'm one of the lead pastors, and we are in a sermon series right now called Jesus Says. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. There are a couple commands in this passage. The first is to listen to Jesus, and the second is to follow Jesus. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. What we've been doing in this sermon series is we've been concentrating around the words of Jesus. If his sheep, and by the way, you're the sheep, which is good news and bad news, by the way. (laughs) We're the sheep. Well, if we're his sheep and he speaks to us, what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus calling us to? What is his teaching? So we've been in the gospel of Matthew. We've been looking at the different things that Jesus says, what he calls us to. Because we don't want to be a church that just knows the things he tells us. We want to be a people who walk out the things that he teaches us. And so today, uh, the topic is about what Jesus says around conflict resolution. Yes. Yes. Aren't you so excited for this? Are you so excited for this? We are all going to leave this place knowing how to deal with conflict, okay? Or we're going to have more conflict in our life because of it. One of the two outcomes, I'm not quite sure. But here's, here's the thing. I've, I've, I don't always entitle my sermons, but, but I did this one. And so I've entitled this sermon, We Don't Talk Anymore. Okay, have you heard that song? We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore like we used to. No? Okay. You should listen to the radio a little bit more, maybe. Uh, thank you, Charlie Puth, on that song. We don't talk anymore. Um, maybe you've noticed this, but over the last several years, probably all of us have different relationships where we don't talk anymore. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I would imagine that many of us would put up our hands saying we don't talk anymore. One of the things that disappointed me the most through the pandemic was that the Christian church struggled in this as well. Struggled on how to deal with conflict. When actually, we should be the best on the planet at it. Why? Because we have the spirit of Jesus within us. And we have really good instruction. Actually, very clear instruction. Some things we need to wrestle with in scripture. What does this mean? How does this work? And we wrestle, wrestle. When it comes to conflict resolution and how we're to to deal with one another, very clear. So here's what I want to do today is I want to share from Jesus' own words and also Peter's words on how to approach conflict. And I'm hoping that this sermon is going to be really tactical, actually. That it's going to be very practical for us. At the end of this message, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up to, to my, my best work and, and hope and taking the passages, nine steps to great conflict resolution. And I pray that as we go through these passages and we learn these lessons, that we would begin to ask the Lord, Lord, is there any division, is there any conflict right now uh, that I need to deal with, that I need to bring resolution to, that I need to be, bring peace into? And Lord, would you help me with that? 
You know, there are different kinds of people. I, I call this different conflict personalities. And I'd love for you to think through these different conflict personalities and ask yourself, you know, which one am I? And if you came with somebody or sitting at home with somebody, maybe even look at each other and, and, and kind of determine which one, you know, your spouse is or your friend is, and, uh, and, and let's go through this. This is going to be fun. The first conflict personality that you'll see is what I call the avoider. This is a person who runs from even the scent of conflict. The conflict avoider is so good at seeing conflict come that the, the conflict isn't even in their country yet. But they've got these road maps. They are like the train conductors. They can see conflict coming from miles and miles away. And so they run at any site of conflict. Oftentimes they're out of the room before even conflict emerges. Maybe some of you are the avoider. Usually the problem with the avoider is that maybe it really wasn't a big conflict to start off with, but because of their avoiding, it becomes a conflict, right? Amen. <laughs> the second one is the instigator. This person, we all have at least one in the family somewhere. This is a person who loves to just instigate fights and conflict. They like to come in and drop grenades and leave. Any of you one of those? Am I creating conflict right now in the room? I feel like I might be creating conflict. This is the person where all of a sudden you find yourself in a, in a family situation, you're arguing, and, and then you look around and you go, where did the person go who started this thing? And they're long gone. They're like home by now, the instigator. The third one is the competitor. This is a person who sees conflict as an opportunity to win. And they will win the fight, win the argument, win the conflict, even if it wasn't what they set out to do or achieve. It wasn't their hope. They just wanted to win. They had to win at all costs. Then there's the compromiser. This is what I call as the conflict negotiator. This is the person that comes in and they go, oh, oh, a conflict. Here, I can bring some, some compromise to it. And they, they're skilled at finding a compromise that will quiet the conflict. Oftentimes with that, though, no one really wins. The fifth one is the accommodator. They don't avoid, but they will bend to the other person's wants just to resolve the conflict. Maybe you're the accommodator. You see it, you don't avoid it, but you're just willing to change, to adapt, so that peace can enter the situation. The accommodator often gets walked over, uh, bullied, if you will, because they're just willing to make the conflict go away as quickly as possible, and so they'll accommodate. accommodate. I think there's a sixth one that I didn't write down here, and I think this personality type is what I would call the defriender. And when it comes to conflict in our world today, what happens is what they do is they just defriend that person. And so now all of a sudden they have a group of friends that completely agrees with them. And they just continue to defriend, 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 get out of my life, push you out of my life when you don't agree with me, when you cause some conflict in my life. And so now all of a sudden I've just got this group of friends that looks like me, thinks like me, acts like me, behaves like me because I've defriended everybody else out of the equation. These are all different personality types when it comes to conflict, and none of them are very healthy. 
None of them we should look at and go, oh, that's the way to go. So who are we called to be biblically when it comes to conflict? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, this is when he starts his sermon on the mount. This is what he says. He tells us who we're to be. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Our conflict personality should be peacemakers. Now, to be a peacemaker doesn't mean that there won't be disagreement. To achieve peace doesn't mean you achieve uh, the absence of conflict or the absence of disagreement. No, to bring peace into something, it's, it's actually, um, it's bringing in the spirit of Christ Jesus into a situation. Where all of a sudden there's contentment because Jesus is present with his people. And so we are the people who bring in the peace of the Lord. We work for peace. It's this inner contentment because of a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. Not necessarily the absence of conflict or disagreement, but this peace that sets on God's people because of his presence in the room. That's what we're to carry. We're to carry his presence. I want to draw you to two passages today. The first one's going to be 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. The second one is going to be Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. And so you can kind of be ready for both of those passages. As I've been saying over this past year, I love when we can get scripture in front of us. So please, when you're able, bring your Bibles or bring something, a device of some sort where you can get it open. Uh, if you were unable to do that today, some of these will come up on the screen. I want to share first from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And here, Peter gives us teaching that will help us navigate conflict. Let me read the passage for you, and then I want to point out a few different lessons from the Apostle Peter here on, on conflict. This is what he says. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Six lessons that I want to share with you from this passage on how to deal with conflict in a healthy way and things to keep in mind as conflict approaches. The first is this. In verse 8, it says, finally, all of you. Now, here's the lesson here. There are no exemptions when it comes to conflicts. You can't just avoid conflict your whole life and go find those places of peace. Conflict is a part of our worlds. Brokenness is a part of our world. Here's the honest truth. People are a part of our worlds. And therefore, there's going to be conflicts. There are going to be offenses. There are going to be things said that you disagree with. It's going to happen. We need to stop being so shocked and surprised when conflict comes into our world. Wherever there are people, there's going to be conflict. 
And also, we have to keep in mind that you are one of those people. Therefore, where you go, oftentimes you bring conflict with you. Now you clap. I was just going to say that. That was beautiful. Well done. Finally, all of you. And so we all, we're all in this broken world trying to, to work together and be a part of it. And so there, there are no exemptions. I wish I could say, you know, here's the secret formula and you're going to live a conflict-free life. It's just not the case. It's not going to happen. And so as verse 8 continues on, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Now, now, what this teaches us here is that actually we need to remember that we have a higher calling than conflict. We have a higher calling than just our, our passion points. We have, we have a higher calling that all of us can agree on as Christ followers. We have a higher calling. And the higher calling is to love God and love others. This is our high calling. This is what Jesus says. These are the greatest commandments, to love God and love others. We need to be in one mind of that. We love God and we love others. We surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ and we follow him together. We are in one accord on these things. As brothers and sisters in the Lord, we can always come to that as our common ground. We agree on this with one mind. So often, the problem or the conflict or our hope for resolution becomes the main thing for us. Well, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need to be really good at being able to hover over those pain points to be able to see our, 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 the one thing that unites us all together, and that's Christ Jesus. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. This is why we in the body of believers should be so good at conflict resolution, because we have Jesus Christ, because we do have one thing that is at the top of our mind for each and every one of us, and his name is Jesus. Verse 8 goes on, and it says, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. The lesson here from Peter is this. When it comes to conflict resolution, be empathetic. Don't be pathetic. Be empathetic. Sympathize with each other. This means that in our conflict, what we should try to do for one another, because we love each other, is we should do our very best to try to get into the other person's shoes. To try to understand what it's like for them. This is what it means to have empathy, to feel what others are feeling. And this is part of really healthy conflict resolution, is actually understanding that it's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about this other person or this other group of people. And somehow what I need to do in order to bring resolution to something is try to get myself in their shoes. This takes great humility, but it's necessary. The passage goes on in verse 9. It says this, Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults. When people insult you, instead pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. The lesson that Peter teaches us here is this, is that we need to view conflict as an opportunity. This is a paradigm-shifting moment 
This is a try to adopt a kingdom of God mindset when it comes to conflict. That actually conflict can be an opportunity to be a blessing. Uh, Conflict can provide an opportunity to bring light into darkness. Opportunity to bring a blessing, to show Jesus Christ in a situation. Within the body of believers, but even more so as we approach conflict with people who don't yet know Jesus. What a great opportunity for us to show Jesus into our broken worlds. I once heard that there are always two filled buckets next to any conflict. If you were to imagine a conflict like a fire, there are two buckets next to to the fire, and they're both full. One is filled with water, and one is filled with gasoline. Which one are you going to pick up? (laughs) A lot of times we like to say, oh, they're going to get a piece of my mind, right? And they probably will get a piece of your mind because you've lost your mind, We don't want to bring gasoline to this conflict. We want to bring the peace of the Lord to it. That doesn't mean rolling over. That doesn't mean moving towards what is right. No, but we want to bring peace. We don't don't want to bring gasoline. We want to bring water. Conflicts can so often be an opportunity. I have to tell you, if I had to say which one of these personality types am I most associated with, it's probably the avoider. But here's what I've learned through the years, is that whenever I pull up the courage to go and address conflict in a godly way, God always meets me there. Always meets me there. And I'm always amazed, I don't know why I am still, but I'm always amazed at how when you go in hearing from God with the peace of the Lord, that actually your relationship can strengthen in that moment because we have the spirit of Christ Jesus in us. Fifth lesson comes from verse 10. And Peter says this, for the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, okay, do you want that? Yeah, we all want that. Okay, so here's what you need to do. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. The fifth lesson is this. Use your words wisely in conflict. Use your words wisely. There's so many passages in scripture. Your tongue is like a rudder to a great big ship. It's like a spark to a wild fire. Our words matter. If you want to enjoy life, if you want to see many happy days, if you want healthy relationships, you need to embrace the fact that words matter. And we need to use our words wisely. I would even extend it to this. You need to use your posture wisely as well. If you go into conflict resolution like this, you know, what good is that going to do? You're speaking something to that person. No, we need to use our bodies, our posture, our words in a way that is, comes from the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And then finally, in verse 11, Peter says this, Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. See, this is what we're trying to work for. This is what we're trying to maintain, the peace of the Lord, which is really the, the presence of God in our midst with us fully attuned to his presence. This is when peace comes. Live as peacemakers. I would say there are three common enemies in the world of conflict resolution. 
Here they are. Pride, speculation, and fear. These three things are the enemies to conflict resolution. And all three of them can birth within us at any moment. Pride. Pride is what says, I'm right and nobody can change my mind on that. How's conflict going to go? When we go into a situation saying, I am right, there's nothing wrong within me, and I am 100% sure of that. Pride. Pride actually goes an extra mile and says, you know what, I'm always right. So why shouldn't I be right in this situation as well? Are you always right? Really? No. (laughs) Pride gets in the way of resolution, reconciliation. Speculation does as well. Speculation is this, is where you turn your own story into the situation. Speculation says, ah, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking this. And not only are you thinking that, but they're also, I bet they're telling this person and they're telling that person. And now it's gotten this huge thing and, and you begin to speculate. And speculation is an enemy of conflict resolution. Because now you begin to believe stories that don't even exist. And you're fighting for things that you're not even being fought against. And then fear. Fear so often becomes an enemy in the world of conflict resolution because fear tells you, you shouldn't bring this up with your friend. You shouldn't bring this up with your loved one because they're going to hate you for it. They're going to cut off the relationship. You know what? No, just, just avoid it. Run away from it. You know what? Fear also says, you can't do this well. You're not going to do this well. You're going to make it worse. How often do we run that song through our head? And all of a sudden this fear sets in and so we avoid conflict or we accommodate it or we compromise in it because we're afraid that we're going to mess it up. Let me give you the opposites of these because the opposites actually paint the picture of what practices we should bring to bring peace. These are three practices that bring peace. And you'll notice they're the opposites. Humility, positivity, and confidence. As we go into conflicts, we know, need to go with humility. We need to actually say, you know, Lord, show me my fault in this first. Start with me. Remember that teaching? It says, hey, take out the log in your own eye before concerning yourself with the speck of dust in your friend's eye. I always love that imagery. Jesus says that. Take the log. It's a ridiculous imagery. You can't get a log cut in your eye, caught in your eye. But he wants us to see that picture. Imagine a log caught in your eye. And if you don't take it out, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're going around and you're knocking and you're hitting everybody with that huge log that's coming out of your eye. You're just creaming people as you go through life because you won't take your own issues out of your eye. So Jesus is saying, you need to deal with yourself in humility first. You're killing people all over the place because you won't address your own issues and your own problems, the own, your own sin in your life. So we need humility when it comes to conflict resolution. And we need positivity. I often talk about having positive assumption. This is the opposite of speculation. This is where, as Christ followers, we don't create storylines that don't exist. 
Instead, we stand on the ones that we know are true. I know that my brother in the Lord, wouldn't, he wouldn't want to say those things about me. I know that my brother in the Lord, my sister in the Lord, loves me and wants what's best for me. And so I'm going to go into this situation with positive assumption. Or maybe my brother or sister in the Lord or, or my friend, maybe they're going through something in life right now that, that's unseen to me, that's causing this behavior. Something's going on here because I know them and I'm thinking the best of them. This is where we need to start, with positive assumption. If we don't start with positive assumption, we're led down all kinds of different stories and confidence I try to tell myself whenever going into a situation where I know there might be conflict, I remind myself of how the Lord has been faithful in the past. Lord, I remember how you stood with me and you gave me the words and how you gave me new understanding in this last situation. I know you're going to do it again. And our confidence isn't prideful because our confidence is in the Lord. Lord, I know you go before me. I know you're going to speak to me in this. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Verses 15 and 17. Now this has a particular context. In chapter 18, Jesus says a few different things. The first thing he talks about is when disciples come to him and ask, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I love how Jesus answers. He takes a little child. He says, man, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he's setting up this idea of we need to be humble people. And then later in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep. And he says, wouldn't the shepherd leave the 99 in order to go to find the one? And so now he's saying you need to be humble, but also you need to help the lost and care for the lost and love those people who are far from me. Be humble and love the lost. This is the context of this passage. It should frame what we learn in this. And so Jesus says this, he says, here's how you are to address a person who has sinned against you. So this is somebody who has done something against you because of their sinful nature. Somebody has sinned against you, they have hurt hurt you, harmed you, offended you because of the sin in their life. Here's what you're to do. And this is in the context of brothers and sisters in the Lord. Three things, go and show, that's the first thing. And so Jesus instructs us, here's what you're to do. You are to go. You are to go to that person. Now, I would say this. First, you need to determine if you need to go at all. Sometimes you need to look at other passages as well. In Proverbs 19.11, it says this. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Sometimes, as Christ followers, we need to overlook an offense. Otherwise, we'd be on each other's doorstep every couple minutes. (laughs) Sometimes we just need to overlook and say, you know what? They didn't mean it. It's it's, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Our friendship is not harmed because of this. I'm going to overlook it. I'm beyond it. We're, We're moving on. But these situations that Jesus is talking about, these are not small matters of offense. These are big matters of sin that are in other people's lives. And actually, you're going to them because you you want to see them rid themselves of this sin so that they can have a closer walk with Jesus. This is the context. So Jesus starts with go. And I love this. He's teaching us to go to the person. Don't take it to a council of people. I can't tell you how often we get this wrong, friends. 
Can we make a commitment together right now? If somebody offends you, go to that person. Don't go to eight or ten of your friends to talk about it first. Please don't do that. Go to the person. Pray up and then go. And go to that person and speak to them. Don't spread rumors and and gossip around. Go to the person. Go in humility. Go in love. And then show them. Show them. And our scripture says point out to them their sin. Go to them and show. What what this language is is, is talking about, it, it says shed light on the situation. Show the person what you have seen in them. Don't go to condemn them. Don't go to accuse them. Don't go to cause guilt or shame on them. Go hoping for restoration. Uh, I want to tell you, so often, if we just practice this first step in the way Jesus calls us, this is oftentimes the last step. Because people will repent, relationships will be restored. But if they're not, we're given a second step. This is what I call the you pick two, like Panera. Did you like that? Did you like that? You pick two. Take one or two others if the person refuses to listen, if there's no repentance. And there's a few different reasons why you bring one or two. One, you bring one or two with you because you want to show that person how important this matter is. You're not ganging up on them. In fact, what you're trying to do is say, we love you so much. We love you so much that we wanted to come and and raise this matter again. And then if that still doesn't work, the third thing you do is you take it to the church. Now, this does not mean that you send a mass church email out. This does not mean that you post it on the church's Facebook page. No, what this means is you bring it to the church leadership. You bring it to a pastor, to an elder. You've tried now to settle it yourself, but it did not work. And now you need help in the situation. And at this point, what I would say is as you go and you bring it to an elder of the church, to a pastor of the church, now you're saying, here, I'm handing this off to you, and I'm going to follow your wisdom and direction. I'm handing it off to you. These are great teaching moments from Jesus on how to handle conflict. Here's how I want to end. I put together a quick list that I want to share with you. It'll come up on the screen. You can take a screenshot if you want to. You can practice it this afternoon if you want to. But these are nine steps to conflict resolution. Here they are. First, as you go into conflict, and maybe you can think of one even right now, there's brokenness in a relationship. First thing to do, always, pray about it. Pray about it. As I said, sometimes in prayer, God will direct you to let the offense go. He will definitely give you wisdom. He will absolutely give you what you should say. And more often than not, it'll be language, a communication plan that wasn't your design originally. So pray about it. He'll also give you the right attitude to carry into the meeting. You should not go into conflict without first praying. Do not go into conflict without praying first. Please, hear me say that. Do not go into conflict without praying first. Second, confess your wrongs. Privately, before you go and speak to this person or this group of people, privately ask God to forgive you of any of your own wrongdoing. Lord, I'm so sorry. It might be something small. You might discern that it was actually something, you may have been the problem. 
<laughs> Somewhere in that continuum, there's, there, you are a part of this situation. Lord, I'm sorry for how I reacted to this. Lord, I'm sorry for how I started this, whatever it might be. Third, meet together. Um, I would say don't text message, instant message. That's like the last case scenario, meaning somebody's on an island, they only have a phone, and they don't know how to speak anymore, and now you're text messaging. That's really what it's reserved for. Set up a time to meet with this person. Pick the time and the place. Pick a time where you know you're not going to be exhausted and, and grumpy already. Pick a place where you know it's going to be conducive to being able to, to share together. Start well. Share with the person why you value the relationship. When I say start well, I mean start the conversation well. Pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what should I say to start this? Share with the person where you missed it. Fifth, ask to hear their story. Hey, you know what? I'm sure I don't have the full picture here. Can you just share with me your side of the story? I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to your side of the story. After listening with positive assumption, then ask to tell your side of the story and tell it in love. This is not a defense moment. It's not a recounting of all the little issues. It's asking God to speak in that moment and sharing what God has placed in your heart through prayer. Seventh, forgive and ask for forgiveness. Go into the conflict ready to forgive that person. Maybe you're going to need to do that quietly because they never ask for forgiveness. Other times you'll need to do it out loud because they'll ask for forgiveness in that situation. Eighth, propose a solution. State where the breakdown happened and how you will avoid it in the future. Maybe a proposed solution is another meeting. We should meet again. There's still more to talk about. Maybe a proposed solution is, you know what, I'm glad we're sitting face to face, but we need to bring some, some professional help into this. Could we meet with somebody? Maybe the proposed solution is to agree on new expectations for that relationship. You know what, we're not best friends. That's okay, but here's what our expectations for our friendship is going to be moving forward. And then finally, before you leave, affirm that relationship. Say something that would affirm your love for them. Because in fact, that's what we're called to do, to love God and love others. Last question for application as the band comes up. I wonder, do any of your relationships need healing today? Any of your relationships? Just think about that. And here's what I want to challenge you with as we go. I want to challenge you to start in prayer over this situation. Jesus, how are you wanting me to respond? Don't sit up late at night devising your own strategies and your own comebacks that are just going to kill the next day. No, ask the Lord for his blueprints for it. Ask for his strategy, for his words that he would share with that person. And then listen to him. Do whatever he tells you. This is what we're called to do, friends do whatever Jesus calls us to. And so I pray that this has given you some good strategy. I pray that it's been very clear because I believe scripture is very clear on this. And let us always be a church that's the best at this. 
because we have the spirit of God within us. I pray that we might see great reconciliation in our friendships and relationships in the months and years to come because we do what Jesus says. Let's stand together. Lord, we want to embrace the posture of humility. We want to embrace the posture of confidence in you that you go before us. Lord, if there are any people in our friendships and our families that, that we see they're in, they're in sin and we'd, we'd like for them to be freed of that, Lord, I pray that we would go and approach them in a biblical way with great love for them. Lord, if there's any conflict in our relationships, any division that's been caused over these years, Lord, I pray that we would try to see reconciliation happen, that we do it in a godly way. Lord, I understand that we're not always going to be able to achieve that, but I pray that you would help us work to maintain peace, that you'd help us become peacemakers in our world. Lord, I pray that we would stand strong for the truth but Lord, that we would do it with great love and grace and mercy. Yes. And that our higher calling would always be at mind. To draw people to you, Jesus. Yes. And we do that through our words, our actions, and through our relationships. And so Lord, I just pray as we live in this difficult world, Lord, I know you're counting on your church to model this. So I just pray for a great anointing on our church's life that we might do this really well, that we would carry your spirit in a powerful way. I pray all this in Jesus' name.